Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. Last week we had an all-birthday show, but this week there's just one, that of Billy Merrill. So, what are we doing for the rest of the show? Well, we'll do some studying, and some dancing, some mountain climbing, and we'll get sloppy. Last week, May 31st, marked the birth in 1902 in the northwest London district of St. Pancras of William Joseph Merrill. His father was a violinist, and at just seven years of age, young Billy received a scholarship and was studying at Trinity College of Music. While in his early teens, he was playing in dance bands and accompanying silent films in cinemas. He wrote the first of his hundreds of compositions at age 17 and recorded approximately 37 piano rolls for the Echo label. It was Bert Ralton, leader of the Savoy Havana Band, who heard Billy playing in the lounge of the Southwestern Hotel in Southampton and was so impressed that he signed him up on the spot to play at the Savoy Hotel. Billy married Ermine Gilda Bernini, better known as Jill, in June 1923 in Hammersmith, and the following year made a voyage to the U.S., arriving in New York on August 22, 1924. In 1926, he left Ralton in favor of playing solo, composing, broadcasting, and teaching. By 1939, his School of Syncopation Music School, founded in 1926, had a staff of 117, in branches around the world with 30,000 students, 5,000 of whom became professional pianists. In the late 1930s, Billy formed a group called Billy Merrill and His Claviers, which consisted of himself and four other keyboardists playing Challen multitone pianos. The instruments produced sounds reminiscent of a harpsichord, yet had the dynamics of a piano. The group toured the UK and Western Europe briefly and made a short film for Path A, available on YouTube. World War II disrupted Merrill's activities, but following the war he resumed performing, broadcasting, and composing, although he was unable to revive his music school. He died of a heart attack on March 25, 1959. Here's Billy Merrill. Thank you. 
puddings and pies consist of lamb's with bread pies that makes up his dish. I only wish that he would just kiss me.
medley of tunes from the West End show Nippy, all written and played by Billy Merrill in London on October 22, 1930, from Columbia DB288. Following the intro, we heard Your Sunny Disposition and Mine, Anything, and It Must Be You. That was part one, with part two on the flip side, and we'll play that another time. Jack Hilton and DeBroy Summers both did dance band versions of the same medleys. Nippy opened at the Prince Edward Theater on October 30, 1930, and ran for 137 performances. The title refers to waitresses who worked in the J. Lyons and Company tea shops and cafes in London and wore a distinctive maid-like uniform with a matching hat. Because they nipped or moved quickly about the shops, they came to be called a nippy. Before that, Billy Merrill accompanying Gwen Farrar on Masculine Women, Feminine Men, written by Edgar Leslie and James V. Monaco. Gwen Farrar was a classically trained cellist who first came to fame with her professional partner, Nora Blaney, in the early 1920s. That was recorded August 30, 1926, in London, issued on Vocalion X9887. We started the set with Paul Whiteman and his orchestra with the vocal trio of Gaylord, Fulton, and Young with Georgie Porgy. Columbia 1491-D was made June 17, 1928. Georgie Porgy was written by Merrill and lyricist Gerald Paul, who wrote under the name of G. Paul, G-E-E. He was born around 1904 in Singapore to Thaddeus Paul and Mary Pauline Arathun. He graduated from Pembroke College in London and went on to become a barrister. When his father died, Gerald took over the family's hotel and business empire, but wrote songs in his spare time. He also collaborated with Billy on Does Tosti Raise His Bowler Hat when he said goodbye, and I Loved, I Lost, and on his own wrote the song Never Again. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. First known as the Prize Walk, the Cakewalk is a dance from pre-Civil War America where slaves on southern plantations would dress up in their finest clothes and parody the mannerisms of the slave owners by standing side by side linking arms at the elbow, leaning back and prancing about, high-stepping and putting on airs. Dance contests offered the prize of an elaborately decorated cake, hence the name prize walk or cakewalk, and the phrase takes the cake. Winning a cakewalk composition was not easy, and dancers had to perform the difficult moves gracefully, giving the impression of doing so with great ease, hence the term cakewalk to describe an accomplishment that was easy or simple to obtain. So here's a set of cakewalks beginning with John J. Kimmel. Thank you. 
I've been trying to figure out a segment in which to play that record ever since I bought that CD, Volume 2 of the Complete Works of Guido Dero, on the great Archeophone label. It's titled The Dream of the Rarebit Fiend. It was also recorded by the Edison Military Band, but that was accordionist Guido Dero, August 5, 1912, on Columbia A1281. So, why play Dream of the Rarebit Fiend in a cakewalk segment? Well, because the original title of that tune is the Perman's Brooklyn Cakewalk. It was written by Thomas W. Thurban and Frederick D. Wood, and was based on a comic strip of the same name by Windsor McKay. The characters in the strip were passionate epicures, and its purpose was to warn of the danger of overindulgence of fine food, including rarebit. I have a distinct childhood memory of my mother preparing Welsh rarebit, which I, of course, called Welsh rabbit, actually the dish's original name. There's not a trace of rabbit in Welsh rabbit, which also has nothing to do with whales, for that matter. It's simply hot, cheese-based sauce served over slices of toasted bread, and is also called English or Scottish rabbit, golden buck, and blushing bunny. Before Dream of the Rarebit Fiend was Clarence Williams' Blue Five with vocalist Eva Taylor and Cakewalking Babies from Home, written by Williams, Henry Troy, and Chris Smith. Sidney Bechet played soprano sax and Louis Armstrong, cornet, on that January 1, 1925 recording, issued on OK 40321. We started that Cakewalk segment with American Cakewalk, written and played by accordionist John Kimmel, on Victor 5438 from March 6, 1908. John J. Kimmel was born in Brooklyn on December 13, 1866, and played the one-row diatonic accordion, also called a melodeon, billing himself as the Irish Dutchman. Diatonic accordions are bisonoric instruments, meaning that each button plays two separate notes, depending on whether you are pressing or drawing the bellows. Put on your thinking caps, as for this segment we're going to do some studying. Charles K. Harris wrote a song in 1917 called A Study in Black and White. Now, it can be argued that black and white are not colors, but there's no arguing with the colors of these three studies. Thank you. 
Well, there you have three different studies in three different colors. We just heard Paul Whiteman's concert orchestra with a study in blue, recorded March 2, 1928, in Liederkranz Hall. Take 3 was issued on 12-inch Victor 36067, which accounts for the long playing time. It may be Paul Whiteman's orchestra, but in this particular case it was directed by Domenico Savino, although the Victor ledgers say he was assisted by Whiteman. He probably needed some assistance since there are as many as 26 pieces in the orchestra. A study in blue was written by Domenico Savino and was preceded by a study in brown, written by Larry Clinton. It was performed there by Teddy Hill and the NBC Orchestra on April 23, 1937, on Bluebird B-6943. We started that study session with a study in red, another Larry Clinton composition, played by Larry Clinton and his orchestra on December 23, 1938. That's from Victor 26141. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. For this segment, for no particular reason, we're going to get sloppy. Here's Fats Waller. Thank you. 
I'd rather be sloppy drunk than anything else I'd know. I'd rather be sloppy drunk than everything else I know. Oh, listen here, brother. Another half a pint will see me go. started that sloppy set with Fats Waller and Sloppy Water Blues, a Fats original from January 14, 1927. That was take three on Victor 20492. Take one, available on volume one of the JSP Complete Fats Waller set, is almost a half minute longer. I haven't analyzed just how they differ, but perhaps Fats did a little impromptu improvisation on the first take. Fats was followed by Duke Ellington and his Cotton Club Orchestra with Sloppy Joe, written by Barney Begard, who played clarinet in the band. The vocalist on Victor V-18065, recorded March 7, 1929, was Sonny Greer. Fats Waller wasn't the only artist Victor recorded in their Camden, New Jersey church studio, and they didn't record just the organ there. We finished up with the Washboard Rhythm Kings and Sloppy Drunk Blues, sung there by Frank Denton. It was issued on Victor and Bluebird here in the U.S., but also in the U.K. on HMV B4954, the record we heard. A couple of weeks ago, a world record was set, which you may not have heard about. At 9.20 a.m. on Tuesday, May 23rd, Kami Rita Sherpa summited 29,032-foot Mount Everest for the 28th time, breaking his own record less than a week after setting it, and just a day after fellow Sherpa guide Pasang Dawa tied his record of 27 ascents. 
Tommy Rita, whose father was among the first Sherpa guides, first reached the top of the world in 1994 and has made the climb nearly every year since. So with congratulations and best wishes to Kami Rita and all local Sherpa mountain guides, here's a set of rapidly rotating records about mountain climbing. the highest mountain If I knew that when I climbed that mountain I'd find you I'd swim the deepest river If I knew that when I swam that river I'd find you Without you, dear My life means nothing to me No matter where you are, that's where I want to be. I pray to get to heaven, cause I know that if I got to heaven, I'd find you. I know that I'm to blame. That's why we've drifted apart. But if you knew what I'm going through, you would forgive me, sweetheart. I'd cross the burning desert if I knew that when I crossed that desert, I'd find you. I'd pay the price of sorrow if I only knew that some tomorrow I'd find you. There's not a single thing that I wouldn't dare if I knew that you would be waiting for me there. I'd give my greatest treasure if I knew by giving up that treasure I'd find you. I'd climb the highest mountain if I knew that when I climbed that mountain I'd find you. I'd swim the deepest river. I knew that when I swam that river, I'd find you. Without you near, my life means nothing to me. No matter where you are, that's where I want to be. I'd pray to get to heaven. Cause I know that if I got to heaven, I'd find you. From a mountain far away, I'm looking down below, wishing dear that you were near me. 
For I love you so I'm up on a mountain Talking to the sky Telling all the heavens About you I'm up on a mountain Watching clouds go by Telling them I can't do Without you We could be so happy here Just you and I We could live and love and see The world go drifting by I'm up on a mountain Talking to the sky Telling all the heavens I love you Revenue man, he came up the 
With his gun raised high, he said, looking for a still. And if someone tries to get gay, I'm gonna shoot to kill. The mountains ain't no place for bad men with a still on the hill, no siree. The mountains just a place for good men with a gun and a badge just like me. Then Revenue Bill went up the hill, he's up there still, you see. The mountains ain't no place for bad men with a gun and a badge, no siree. your gold to me from his horse no more does he swing he's swinging from a tree the mountains ain't no place for bad men with a horse and a gun no siree the mountains full of trees for bad men with a horse and a gun yes siree we'll swing you high up on a tree for all bad men to see the mountains ain't no place for bad men with a horse and a gun, no siree. Mountains, or anywhere else for that matter, ain't no place for bad men. Frank Crummett co-wrote Mountains Ain't No Place for Bad Men with William Raskin and Irving Kale and sang it on May 24, 1929, preserved on Victor 22021. Now guess, just take a guess as to who was playing organ on that recording. He's never even been mentioned on the show before, but his brother is all the time. Nat Shilkrit's older brother, Lou Shilkrit. He was an accomplished keyboardist, playing piano, organ, and celesta, as well as drums. He also conducted the Kirillov Russian Balalaika Orchestra, but didn't make his living solely from music. He also worked in the insurance business. Uh, yes, he does need his own segment. So does Jack Miller, for that matter, who preceded Frank Crummett with I'm Up on a Mountain, Talking to the Sky. Dave Oppenheim and Abner Silver wrote that, and Jack recorded it on January 28, 1931. Take One was issued on Velvet Tone, Clarion, and the record we heard, Harmony 1281-H. Whispering Jack Smith started off that mountain-climbing set with Lou Brown and Sidney Clare's I'd Climb the Highest Mountain If I Knew I'd Find You. Victor 20038 was waxed March 5, 1926. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had even half as much fun as I did, then I had at least twice as much fun as you. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. <laughs>